This podcast is produced by Unedited. Welcome to Where the Magic Happens. This is a new series called The Black Magic Podcast, which is about the life stories of ordinary British black women. Extraordinary women who inspire us with their brilliance and resilience, personally and professionally. Our guests come from a range of industries, genres and generations. They are the trailblazers and the change makers. Women like Angela Griffin, Angela Marr and Bianca Miller. To Sonia Meggy, Victoria Walker and Natasha Benjamin. Some you already know of and some you'll hear about here. I'm Anika Allen and this podcast isn't just about me. When I was growing up, these were the kind of women who you didn't see in full-page spreads in magazines. But now, through social media, and I have to wait on the mainstream press, we launched the first Black Magic Awards at the Hackney Empire in September. And this podcast is keeping the love going. As the co-owner of entertainment platform The Colour Network, I've got the chance now to shine a light on these ladies, and many more, to tell us who they are and how they fill their lives with meaning, purpose and passion. In each episode, I bring together two guests and talk to them about the challenges they've had to overcome. For the first show, we hear from Beverly DeGale and Alicia Dixon. Don't worry if you don't know who they are. That's why this podcast is here. So do subscribe and you won't miss any of the magic. Hopefully something in their journey gives you a spark for your own magic. You have this great laugh. Uh, and I know people pick up on that quite a lot, don't they? Does it bother you at all? I'm slightly embarrassed by it because it's very manly. <laughs> well, it is, and the veins come out, and then it's that. Then it goes into Muttley, this... Yeah, it, it, can, it can end strangely, your laugh. I've oh, noticed that. Oh, it's been that. called Muttley, Sid James, Uncle. a crow... Who's ever heard a crow a laugh? A dolphin, someone says. <laughs> a dolphin? No, these are all the sounds, very animal-like. Okay. <laughs> her laugh is unmistakable Alicia Dixon has a successful music career under her belt and is a household name as a TV presenter and talent judge when she was coming up successful black women were less visible than regrowth so what would she say to her teenage self if she could go back and what did her father say to her about going into show business what advice would I give my, my younger self today I would probably say don't worry so much because I spent a lot of time worrying about situations that I couldn't control and actually, even though we were afraid and scared of a lot of things, to feel the fear and still do it anyway is probably the biggest lesson that I've learned. The only way you get better, the only way you grow, the only way you push yourself is by stepping into uncertain waters and, and almost allowing yourself to just go for it, just be free. Um, because in a way, you're the only person that holds you back because fear it, when fear creeps in, it can affect all your steps, all your choices. So I've learned in life, even, th- even if things don't work out, I look back with no regrets because we still went for it anyway. So I would say the advice to anyone is relax, don't worry so much. And if something doesn't work, there's a, re- there's a real reason for it and it's for you to figure out what that lesson is. When I was growing up and I said to my father that I wanted to be in the music industry, he said to me, what successful black stars do you see in the UK that makes you think that you can do it? 
Now, at the time, it was a very hard thing to argue with. However, I chose to go against that because I don't believe in that. I don't believe that you, you make your decisions in life based on people's successes or failures. You do what instinctively feels right for you. But I think that it's very, very important that we build each other up, that we support one another so we can all be in this together. Advice that's probably familiar to many of us in Britain. There weren't many British black women represented on stage or screen, let alone in business or, well, anywhere at all. In the coming weeks, we'll be hearing from extraordinary women who have turned the challenges of their lives into something beautiful and empowering. Whether through personal adversity or professional setbacks, health, wealth, weakness or strength, all of it will be here on our podcast for you to hear and share. Beverly DeGale is a woman whose magic most people only know about because of the strength of her undeniable spirit. Here's her story in her own words. My name is Beverly DeGale. I am co-founder and director of operations at the ACLT charity. That's the African Caribbean Leukemia Trust. After changes in my life that affected my entire life, I now work for the ACLT, which I've done for the last, since 2002. In 1993, my son was six. He suddenly started to suffer with flu-like symptoms and we couldn't understand what was going on. So we went to our GP on three occasions. They put it down to flu, gave us cow pole, wasn't going away, made a fourth visit, doctor decided to do a blood test and later on that evening one of the doctors from the practice came to our house and told us that Daniel had leukemia. Oh, that was a real shock. I, as much as I didn't know much about leukemia, I knew it was cancer and it was the biggest shock I think any parent could have to suddenly realise that your beautiful child, suddenly their mortality is being questioned and I just remember falling to the floor with the news. And once I got over the shock, I went to him just to look at him, gave him a hug, called my husband, told him that our son had leukemia and that we needed to go to our hospital for him to start treatment. He met me at the hospital and then everything just kind of moves into overdrive and suddenly everybody comes together to determine what type of leukemia he had, what type of chemotherapy treatments he was going to need, um, lots of questions from family. Obviously everybody's very deeply concerned. My son is in the middle of this, six years old, not quite understanding what's going on, but he knew to ask the question, am I gonna die? And I was so shocked, I just didn't know what to say, but fortunately, by this point, we'd moved to Great Ormond Street Hospital. The nurses there had were used to these questions and immediately jumped in and said, Daniel, we're all going to die, but actually you do have an illness and we're gonna work very hard to try and make sure that you're gonna be okay. And from that, he just got on with his, what he knew he had to do. He was remarkably strong and <clears throat> I think, you know, you kind of look back on things. I think he was being strong for us. But also, because of his age, he didn't really appreciate the severity of what was going on. I mean, if someone said to you today, you've got cancer, you know exactly what you're going into. As a child, he didn't appreciate that. 
life. We're going to live forever. You know, when you're young, you just don't think anything's going to happen to you. And so in a way, that was our saving grace because it meant that we didn't have to think too much about what he was feeling um, in terms of being concerned. He, he just knew that he would have to go through some treatments. It wasn't going to be pleasant, but that mummy, his dad, his younger sister, Dominique, and all of the family were going to rally around him to try and make the process as easy as possible. When Daniel was first diagnosed, with the type of leukemia that he had, he was put on two years of treatment. In that first two years, we was told that with the type that he had, it's a childhood form of leukemia, chances are he's gonna have the, the treatment and everything will be fine. So for that two years, I didn't deal with anybody that was associated with this illness, if this makes sense. We used to go to the hospital, I'd sit in a corner, Daniel would have his treatments, we'd leave. I wouldn't communicate with anybody other than the doctors to understand what was happening. And so I did not want to acknowledge this cancer. It wasn't until Daniel finished his treatments, he was in remission and we were told, go home, enjoy your life, which we attempted to do. And then nine months later, we was told that the cancer had come back. Then myself and Orin said, okay, we've got to deal with this. And it was at that point that we was told the lack of numbers of people of black origin on the UK bone marrow registers. We was told that for Daniel to get a match, we would have to check the family first. If there isn't a match there, that you then look within the black community. So few black people registering. Daniel had a one in a quarter million chance of finding a donor. This is what our consultant told us. And so for us, it was a no-brainer. How could we not do something about this situation? In all honesty, it was about Daniel at the very beginning, but it became very clear to us very quickly that actually this was a much bigger problem and that we needed to do this for everyone. And so the ACLT was born. When we set up ACLT, we made a commitment that we would continue whatever the outcome was. And Daniel had always said that the work should continue. The reason Daniel passed away is that he beat leukemia, so we knew it worked, but he waited six years for that donor to be found. And in that six years, he was on chemotherapy, radiotherapy, and other toxic drugs. Those treatments, as much as they kill cancer, they also kill good cells in the body as well. And Daniel was six when he started. So he passed away when he was 21. For most of his life, he'd had chemotherapy treatments and it just worked against him in the end. And his body eventually just said, no, no more. It's been extremely challenging for two main reasons. One, because to get a message like ours out to a community, you need the support of the media. We were very fortunate in that the media came on board because they saw a story. Why are the black community not on the bone marrow register? What is it that's stopping them from donating bone marrow, becoming blood donors, even joining the organ donor register? So knowing this, we knew that we had to be able to answer those questions and to keep the media focused on Daniel. The other problem we had was that the black community and getting people to understand that this is our problem. We can't rely on other people to fix this. And if you're in a situation like we found ourselves in, where a loved one needs a bone marrow transplant, and be just simply because of a lack of numbers, 
your loved one could lose their lives. That was a challenge for us to get people past the fact that they don't like needles. I've heard that so many times. If I had a pound for every time I'd heard it, I could pay off my mortgage. It was disappointing. People don't trust the NHS and all sorts of reasons that people were given why they were not joint signing up. And then just the, just, you know, setting up a charity, um, raising funds to keep the work going. We hit many challenges, but our commitment to what we was trying to do, especially for Daniel, was so strong. Nothing was going to stop us. In the 21 years that we've been going, we have worked with over 300 people in this country and around the world who's needed help. Just through that little man who is my son, we've met some of the most amazing people. The positives of what we do outweigh the negatives. And when we are notified that we found another donor or two or three, it kind of, it validates everything that we're doing because we know that there's someone somewhere around the world has just been told your donor has been found and we'll now start the process to cure you of this disease. So this is the magic. Turn something challenging into something inspiring. So on the next episode of the Black Magic Podcast, I'm going to be joined by social influencer Cassandra Loco and fashion entrepreneur Yolanda Lecce. When it's not going so well, when I feel like, oh, I've done this and it's not really worked, I'm like, okay, but what's your why? If one person's been encouraged and one person feels better about themselves, then you've done what you actually set out to do and then I'm like you know what Cass keep going because that's the reason why you're doing it Mm. so even when sometimes there's no money (laughs) I can keep going (laughs) join every episode of the Black Magic podcast by subscribing on the Acast and iTunes podcast apps we're also on Stitcher and Player FM all the women featured in the series will be featured on the Colour Network website where you can see videos and images of this year's Black Magic Awards do spread the word and share the magic thank you for listening This podcast is produced by Unedited.